We're back in Philippians today. Um, if so, if you would turn with me to Philippians chapter two, um, verse nineteen, as we finish out the chapter. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and then I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let's pray. Dear God and Father, you've given us a supreme example of humility in Jesus. But you blessed us with men that come alongside of us, women that come alongside of us, Christian brothers and sisters that we can learn from, who are faithful to follow you, faithful to your word. God, help us as we look to these people, help us to be pointed to you. God, I just pray that you take your word, help it to change us where we need to be changed. And it's in your name I pray, amen. Well, as we reach this halfway point in the book of Philippians, in our sermon series, I think it's necessary that we take a moment to give a slight recap in order to highlight some of our central passages and themes as they lead to this very practical example in this passage that we are given of what it means and how we are supposed to rejoice together. So Paul began the book with the missionary report to the Philippians as a prisoner in Rome. He thanks God for the Philippians. He prays this powerful prayer that they would truly know the love of Christ, that they would know this love and that they would be changed by this love, and in being changed by this love, their lives would be drastically changed to the world around them. So Paul, and Paul desperately wants these Philippian believers to know that the gospel is advancing. As he comes to this break in his missionary report to the church in Philippi, he crescendos this bold statement in Philippians 1.22, 121, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul emphasizes the point 
that Jesus should be everything to all believers. As believers, we should live and be willing to die with joy and hope to the glory of Christ. So Paul pauses from his missionary report to the Philippians, and he transitions to this section of practical theology that we have been studying for the past several weeks. He begins by spotlighting a key theme of Philippians in Philippians 1, 27, where he says, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Paul is urging these believers and us to live in such a way that our lives match the gospel and we live worthy of its life-giving and life-changing power. So how are we able to do this? Only by the Holy Spirit. As we stand as one people, united by the gospel and united for gospel advancement. And Paul moves into chapter 2 with this beautiful encouragement, reminder, and challenge to continually live in humble pursuit of unity in Christ. Complete my joy, being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord in one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. I don't know about you, but this seems almost impossible. To continually live humbly in pursuit of unity in Christ. It would be easy to say, this is too hard to do on my own. I quit. And it seems that Paul understands the magnitude and gravity of the request. But also the vital importance of it to continually live humbly in pursuit of unity in Christ. And so he commands, he reminds in Philippians 2.5, have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Paul says this mindset and lifestyle of living humbly in pursuit of unity in Christ is yours. It's yours. You have it. If you're a Christian, you have it. Embrace it. By the power of the Spirit at work with every, in every believer, we have the ability to humbly pursue unity in Christ. Not by our own power or our own ability, but by the power of the Holy Spirit and the gospel working in us and through us. Paul goes on to give us our supreme example of humility in Jesus Christ. And then two weeks ago, we studied about being shining lights to the world around us. So in verse number 12 in chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, So now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Paul is exhorting that in the light, in light of Jesus, our supreme example of humility and the power of the gospel working in them and through them, All believers are to live the way God has called us to live. God has made us holy. If you're a believer, God has made you holy. Now be holy. Seth's main point was 
what God has produced in his children, his children are to put into practice so that the light he has produced in us shines in the world around us. Seth reiterated his point with a quote from John Piper, and I quote it again because I think you'll see how it connects to these two men that we're studying. God's work in us does not eliminate our work. It enables it. We work because he is the one at work in us. Therefore, the fight for joy is possible because God is fighting for us and through us. All our efforts are owing to his deeper work and in and through our willing and working. This is the essence of the sanctification process at work in us individually and collectively as a church. As we humbly pursue unity in Christ and live out the power of the gospel, he has made us holy, now live holy, so that the world could see his holiness in us to the praise of his glory. So Paul comes back to this week's passage in Philippians chapter 2, finishing out verses 19 through 30, and Paul transitions back to this missionary report to the church in Philippi. He's, he's back to telling them and us how he is, what he's doing, and he's telling us about these two men, these two examples, Timothy and Epaphroditus, and the, that the Philippians had sent to him in his time of imprisonment to help and encourage him. But as he tells the Philippians about these two men, he draws attention to aspects of their character and service that are examples of exactly what he's been exhorting the Philippian church and us to do from Philippians chapter 1, verse 27 to 2.18. So even as he goes back to this missionary report, he's putting the spotlight on Timothy and Epaphroditus. And he's saying these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, have done and are doing exactly what I have exhorted you to do. So Paul points to these two faithful men that the Philippians have sent to minister to him. And he says, look, Philippians, Timothy and Epaphroditus are examples. They're people that you can follow because they're doing exactly what I've taught you, what I'm telling you to do to follow Christ. So even though he is giving the Philippians a missionary report, he's doing two other things at the same time. He's letting the Philippians know how he is so that they can set their mind at ease, that he's okay, these men are okay. And on the other hand, he's pointing to the character and action of these two men and saying, this is exactly what I want you to be doing. When I call you to have this mind, this attitude in you that is yours in Christ Jesus, these men show you how you ought to do it. So Paul is pointing to them as good examples of precisely the exhortation that he's giving them in this practical theology section. So the main point from this passage is, I think, Jesus, our supreme example, has given us faithful ministers to emulate as we strive to live in the light of our salvation with humility, obedience, joy, and endurance. So Jesus, our supreme example, has given us faithful ministers to emulate. 
So as we work out our salvation, as we are being sanctified, Jesus, our supreme example of humility, and living completely to the praise and glory of God the Father, Jesus blesses us with these faithful ministers to point us to him and that we can emulate. He gives us pastors, he gives us Christian friends, the church, our community groups that come alongside us as we strive to live in the light of our salvation, as we strive to live humbly, as we strive to live obediently with joy, as we strive to endure faithfully. Jesus blesses us with these brothers and sisters who are faithfully pursuing sanctification in their lives and are faithfully there to encourage us to pursue sanctification together. I want you to listen carefully, though. We aren't given these people to pursue sanctification with and emulate so that we can be like them. He's not saying be more like so-and-so or be more like this person. He's giving us these people to emulate in order that we can become more like Christ. We follow others only when they are following Christ and leading us to Christ. Paul doesn't want these Christians running around saying, you need to be more like Timothy or you need to be more like Epaphroditus. He wants us striving to be more like Christ, our perfect example. Alistair Begg writes, commentating on this section of Scripture, and I think it's a good reminder um, to us as we look at people in our lives. He says, the best of friends to us will always be friends who imitate Christ. You will never have a better friend than a friend who points you to Christ. We should be thankful that God has blessed us with people in our lives to emulate who are faithfully following Christ. Those people that come alongside us as we strive to live in light of our salvation with humility, obedience, and joy. Do you have people in your life that you can point to that are actively encouraging you to faithfully follow Christ? And if you're a member of this church, if that answer is no, then you need to find another church. But I hope it's a resounding yes. Paul points to Timothy and Epaphroditus as faithful men that the Philippian church and all believers could emulate to faithfully follow Christ. So what, what can we learn from Timothy? So who was Timothy, Timothy this man that is following Christ, who were given to emulate? So Timothy was a Greek. He was native to this area of Galatia, which Paul writes the book of Galatians. We know that his mother was a Jew. We know that his father was a Greek. We know from Acts and Timothy that he wasn't circumcised but was later circumcised. So we, we can assume that he was educated by his Greek father since he wasn't circumcised. He had this background of Greek knowledge and questioning and thinking. But we know that informally from the book of T Timothy that he was informally educated by his mother and his grandmother in the ways and the doctrines of salvation where they taught him the truths of Scripture. And so 
he had this experience of Greek culture from his father, this experience of Jewish and Christian culture from his mother. And so he was eminently qualified to go with Paul to this, into this Greek world to bear the message of Christ. We don't know exactly when he was converted. We don't know the details of that. But we know by, by the time that Paul meets him in Acts chapter 16, he's already become a Christian and was such a proven man that Paul said, I want to take him with me. He sees the importance of Timothy's ministry to the people around him and to him, and he wants to take Timothy with him. And so Timothy becomes Paul's protege. So important to Tim, to, Timothy is so important to Paul that Paul speaks of him and calls him at different points his son in the Lord, his son in the faith, his true child. He speaks of him as his brother, his co-worker, and his fellow servant. So all throughout Paul's ministry and on most of his missionary journey, if you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that Timothy is there right alongside Paul every step of the way unless Paul sent him to do something else. And so we see Paul in prison in Rome and Timothy is right there alongside him. He was of great use to Paul because he was so willing to do whatever it was that Paul wanted him to do for the sake of Christ. He was always faithful to fulfill that which God had given him to do. A message in the hands of Timothy was the same as the message in the hands of Paul, because Timothy was Paul's true child in the faith. Timothy was his protege. And the Philippian church and the Philippians knew him because he was with Paul in Acts chapter 16 in Philippi when the church was started. So their relationship, the church in Philippi, the, these Philippian believers, their relationship with Paul would have been the same as their relationship with Timothy. Timothy was right there at the start of this church. And so Paul emphasizes in this passage several things about Timothy's character and service. And he wants the Philippians and all believers to recognize. He wants them to recognize Timothy as a real-life example of someone who is faithfully following Christ and living in the light of the gospel. Timothy is striving to live in the light of his salvation with humility, obedience, joy, and endurance. So he's saying, imitate Timothy as he faithfully follows Christ. So we're going to look at five things about Timothy's character and service from the passage that we can strive to emulate as we strive to live in the light of our salvation and faithfully follow Christ. So if you would look back in Philippians chapter 2 verses 19 through 24, this passage talking about specifically about Timothy, the first thing we see is that Timothy is like-minded. So in verse 19 and 20, Paul says, I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him. So Timothy is like-minded. Paul is saying, I have no one like him. Paul is faithfully following Christ. Timothy is faithfully following Christ. They are similar to each other. They are like-minded. Paul is saying, 
that Timothy is one with me in mind. He's one with me in thought. He's one with me in feeling, one with me in spirit. Is he saying they like the same food, have the same hobbies, finish each other's sentences? Maybe they spent so much time together, they probably had things like that in common. But that's not what he's focused on. He's emphasizing that they are like-minded in their faithful pursuit of Christ and living in the light of the gospel. They are like-minded in their desire to strive to live in the light of their salvation with humility, obedience, joy, and endurance. They are like-minded in their desire to proclaim the gospel. This is the goal of discipleship, right? We follow Christ. We lead others to follow Christ, not that they would be like us, but that they would have the mind of Christ and that they would live like Christ. So who are you discipling? Who are you being discipled by? We all need to be learning and we all need to be teaching as we humbly pursue unity in Christ together. We need one another. Are you like-minded with other believers? Is your faithful pursuit of unity in Christ? And this is the question I think we need to ask each other every day. Who needs your ministry? Who needs my ministry? Someone in this church needs your ministry. Find them, teach them, and you need somebody else's ministry. Learn from them. Humbly pursue Christ together. Secondly, we see Timothy is sensitive. In verse 20, he says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Timothy is sensitive. He's sympathetic. He has the mind of Christ. He is humbly and genuinely concerned about the welfare of others. He has the disposition of a true disposition of a true shepherd. He's a pastor to them. He cares about these people. And so are you a caring, sensitive, sympathetic person? Do you humble yourself to look out for others' interests? Who has God entrusted you to shepherd? This idea of shepherding is not just for pastors, leaders. If you are a believer, God has entrusted someone in your life to shepherd. Identify those people and be sensitive to them as you humbly walk together. Next, we see Timothy is focused. In verse number 21, it says, For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. If you remember back, I think it was in chapter 1, Paul talks about how the gospel is advancing, but some people preach the gospel out of vainglory, but he praises God because the gospel is advancing, whether they're doing it for Christ or for themselves. And he's saying, Timothy here is focused. He's single-minded. He's, fo- he's not focused on his own interests, but focused on Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Timothy is single-mindedly seeking the things of Christ. In other words, he's living in single-minded devotion. And Paul is pointing out the rarity of this quality. It's not that people won't serve Christ or don't serve Christ, 
that the church doesn't look to serve. But in most people, most people aren't single-mindedly focused on the things of Christ or the church. They aren't focused. They're their desires are divided, so they go back from this thing and they become exhausted by their service because there's not a humble, single-minded focus to serve Christ. So one of the, the things that made Timothy so special in Paul's ministry was he was completely focused. While everybody else had lots of interests, he only had interest in the things of Christ. And because of his focus on the things of Christ, Timothy was seasoned. He was battle-tested. Paul said, you know his proven worth. Paul is saying, Timothy has been on the front lines with me in this journey. He is faithfully pursuing Christ with me. He's faithfully living in the light of the gospel, faithfully sharing the gospel. He is focused. Are you single-mindedly focused? on the things of Christ, or are your interests divided? Next we see Timothy is submissive. In verse 22, But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with the Father he served with me in the gospel. We are given another characteristic of this model servant that we can emulate. Timothy was submissive. He was submissive. It says he served with me. He, he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. Paul is saying this isn't a master slave. This isn't a sergeant private. Paul isn't barking orders at Timothy and saying, you do this, you do this, you do this. And Timothy's just doing it. No, Paul is saying Timothy served with me in the mentality of a son serving along his father. You think of the little kid that sees his dad doing something and wants to help dad. Timothy sees the importance of what Paul's doing because Paul is faithfully serving Christ and he's humbly and submissively following alongside of Paul as he follows Christ and serving Christ together. So whatever submission there was not was not a forced submission, but it earned respect. Both were servants of God both served side by side. Timothy served with the willing, loving submission of a son. He never competed with Paul. He never competed with Paul. And why is that? Because they were on the same mission together, faithfully pursuing Christ, faithfully living in the light of the gospel, faithfully sharing the gospel. It wasn't about, Tim it wasn't about Timothy making his name famous or even Paul's name famous, it was a, solely about making Jesus famous. So are you more about making a name for yourself, or are you focused on faithfully pursuing Christ, faithfully living in the light of the gospel, faithfully sharing the gospel in order to make Jesus famous? And lastly, we see Timothy is available. In verse 23, it says, I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it is well with him to go. So Timothy is right there. He's on standby. We've seen throughout the scripture, we can see as we read about Timothy, wherever Timothy is mentioned, that he's available to go wherever Paul needs him to go. Timothy was available for the furtherance of the gospel. And we see it here in this passage. 
that Timothy's right there. Whenever Paul wants to send him, he's going to go with the message that Paul has to help this church in Philippi, to make Jesus famous. So do you make yourself available to serve? Do you make yourself available to go? Is God challenging you to serve in some capacity or go somewhere for the furtherance of the gospel? Are you available? And then next, what can we learn from Epaphroditus? Who was this man that Christ just briefly mentions here for us to emulate? Well, we know there's really nothing famous about Epaphroditus. He's not a statesman. He's not an apostle. We don't even really have any indication that he was a pastor at the church in Philippi. So in a sense, he becomes an example and a hero for the common man to emulate Christ, to follow Christ. And so maybe in a sense, his level of sacrificial service becomes more instructive to us because he provides us a pattern for the life that most of us live day to day. From my study, this is the only point where Epaphroditus is mentioned in the Bible, these few verses. But yet, Paul points him out as an example of someone to emulate, to follow Christ. His name was a very common name. It would have been like John or Tim or something like that. Just something that common name that a lot of people would have had in that culture. His name simply means favorite of Aphrodite. And so from that name, we know he was from a pagan environment, from a pagan home culture. His family probably worshipped Aphrodite. And so we know, we don't know when he was converted, but we know that by the time the Philippian churches started, he's a faithful member in that church. And so the, the Philippian church who loved Paul very deeply, we'll, we'll see later in the book, they collected the sacrificial gift offering to support Paul while he's in prison. And they choose Epaphroditus among their members to take this gift to Paul to bless him in prison. And so, but there's more than that involved in it. See, the Philippian church not only addressed Epaphroditus to take this gift to them, but they wanted Epaphroditus to stay with Paul, to become, as is, a servant to Paul, to serve him in his needs. So he was the chosen delegate from the church to serve Paul during his time in prison. So here's this godly man, or he wouldn't have been chosen by the church, the servant who is chosen to this person who genuinely looks for the needs of others, who's chosen out from among people to go serve Paul. So he's using his gifts. But not only was that, he had to have been a man of courage. Because he's chosen to go serve Paul. So what that's saying is essentially he is choosing, he's volunteering to go be with Paul in prison. To sit beside Paul in his cell. Essentially, he's imprisoning himself alongside of Paul when he goes to take this. And so beyond this, we don't know really anything else about it. We're going to look at these five titles given here in this passage that point to Epaphroditus' character and service that we can strive to emulate as we strive to live in light of our salvation and faithfully follow Christ. 
So in verse 25 through 29, it's, or verse 30, it says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. So Paul, he thinks it's necessary at this point in time to send Epaphroditus back to the church. So Paul is going to send Epaphroditus back. And here we see the five titles. My brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard he was ill. So he got sick on his way to take Paul this money. And so more time has passed than what should have. And so the Philippians don't really know what's going on. They just know he's sick. They know he's sick. And so he says he was sick near to death. And so Epaphroditus is distressed about this, that they know he's sick. They don't know actually how he is. They don't know whether Paul got the money. There's all this influx in the church. And so this word distress is literally the same word that they talk about in the New Testament where they say that Jesus anguished in the Garden of Gethsemane. So he's so distressed that you think about Jesus sweating drops of blood like he's not sweating drops of blood, but he's genuinely concerned about the members of this church because they heard he was ill. He was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him. You think about it, uh, about a month ago, um, posted about a, a believer in Africa in one of the villages who had recently passed away. Not a very young, old man, probably middle-aged um, in this culture, in this time, medicine wasn't prevalent. So when Epaphroditus got sick to the Philippian church, this was a death sentence. But it says God had mercy on him. God saved his life. God performed a miracle so that he would be glorified in this church and among these believers. And God had mercy on him. And then Paul's saying, not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious, so that the church could be at ease, so Paul could be at ease, that the church is at ease. He's eager to send him. But then he says in verse 29, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ. Paul is saying, I realize you sent him to serve me. But him coming back to you is serving me more than him staying with me. Paul is saying, Epaphroditus isn't coming back to you as a failure, but as someone who has humbly and faithfully followed Christ to the point of death. And it says, risking his life to complete was, was lacking in your service to me. This Risking his life, literally rolling the dice. He's gam, gambling. Epaphroditus, favorite of Aphrodite, this, was willing to risk his life to faithfully follow Christ. So let's quickly uh, talk about these five titles that he's given Three are in relationship to Paul, and two are in relationship to the church in Philippi. And so he says he is my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, 
your your messenger and your minister to my need. So these three first titles, my brother, my fellow soldier, my fellow worker, are keyed off by this word my. They're in relationship to Paul. He is my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier. So Paul is really trying to honor Epaphroditus as this faithful servant. And he's doing so by giving them these three t- titles. This first title, my, my brother, he is saying is the very personal way that Paul is viewing Epaphroditus. He is my brother. And so what does that mean? Well, he means brother in the sense of spiritual birth. They have both have a common source of life. God the Father has given them life in Christ through the Spirit. They are brothers in Christ, and so they share a common eternal life. Secondly, we see he says fellow worker, this implied my fellow worker. So this, this title is how Epaphroditus related to Paul in ministry. This word fellow worker is used 13 times in the New Testament, 12 by Paul, and it's exclusively used for those people who worked alongside Paul faithfully in the ministry as he went along and, and started these churches in, on his missionary journeys. So he's saying Epaphroditus, this person that most of you outside of this small church in Philippi have no knowledge of, he is my fellow worker because he's faithfully following Christ. And then he says, my fellow soldier. This, this title is not particularly looking at his relationship with Paul or his relationship with the church, but he's looking at his relationship to those enemies that he talked about outside the church that were promoting a gospel not for Christ, but for their own ambition. And he's saying this title, fellow soldier, is a, was a very honorable title. Um, in the language, it would have the sense of the common man, the common soldier among the ranks is equal with the, gen- the general himself. So this, the soldier is equal to the commander-in-chief. And so Paul is pulling Aphrodite up, and he's saying, he is my fellow commander, my fellow, as it were. He's a leader in the matter of spiritual warfare. And then these last two titles, as they relate to the church, marked by the word your. Your messenger and minister to my need. So he is your messenger. Messenger of what? He is your chosen source to send me these things. He is the person that you chose out among you to represent your church. Literally, he's saying he is your apostle. This messenger and apostle. So he's not saying apostle in a, in a big A sense like Paul was, but he's saying he is your missionary to me. You're sending him, so honor him. And then lastly, your minister. He is your minister to my need. You sent him. So Epaphroditus is, a, is this quite remarkable man, unselfish, humble, sympathetic, compassionate, courageous, most importantly, he is a godly servant striving to live in the light of salvation and faithfully 
follow Christ. So would you be described as an Epaphroditus? Are you someone people think of as a godly servant striving to live in the light of salvation and faithfully following Christ? So we're given these two examples of men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, that we can emulate as we strive to live in light of our salvation. These two men encourage us to follow Christ. So as we close, practically, I want us to focus on four things that I think we can learn from this. We will live humbly as we follow Christ supremely. Is Christ first in your life? It is impossible to follow Christ supremely and not live humbly. So if there is a lack of humility in your life in some area, if you see pride raising its head in some area, who or what are you following other than Christ? And secondly, we will serve others selflessly as we live with the mind of Christ. Is your life marked by availability, sensitivity, reliability? Is your life marked by loving service to others? Remember, Philippians 2, 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. He has made us holy, so live holy. Thirdly, we will live joyfully as we live obediently. Is your life marked by joyful obedience or a grudging task list of duty? Joy and obedience are not in opposition to each other, but they complement one another. God has made us holy. Now he wants us to live holy by obeying him so that we can experience fullness of joy in him. And lastly, we will endure faithfully as we live worthy of the gospel. God has blessed us with these faithful ministers. He's given us this example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. He's put people in your life, in this church, people in in your life, in your family, that are faithful ministers of the gospel. And so these people come alongside us as we strive to live in the light of our salvation. Jesus, our supreme example of humility, has given us these faithful ministers to emulate as we live in light of our salvation. With humility, we live humbly. As we live obediently, as we live joyfully with endurance till either God takes us home or comes again. Let's pray.